Hello and welcome to the Rabbit Hole Podcast. I am your host, Michael Nunez. The panelists today are David Anderson, Emmanuel Gennard, William Jeffries, and today we'll be talking about TDD. TDD is test-driven development, and we'll get more into that in just a second. Do we have any teaching learns today that we'd like to discuss? I do. Um, I learned, well, I, I kind of heard this term before, leaky abstraction, but I experienced it for the first time. I'd say in the last week, two weeks or so. Uh, so an abstraction you use is usually in programming. You kind of abstract away the logic of something or the steps of something. You just maybe hit an API to call it, right? Mm-hmm. Or you, hit, you use a library, like something like underscore in the front end that does a lot of functional programming stuff for you. So we're using an abstraction on a client. And a leaky abstraction is where you have to go under the hood to figure out how the abstraction works because you have to fix it because it doesn't work the way you, you want it to work. So if you're using a third, third-party third library to do a job and you realize that the job you need to do is not doing it right or it's doing it in ways you don't quite understand or you have to go in there and change the code inside of that library or override it, that is a leaky abstraction because the code is leaking through like the black box it's supposed to be. Mm. And that is what I've learned. And I kind of, it was interesting to see because it's hard to write code. And (laughs) the several people who made this library that we're using, I'm sure worked really hard, but still it's, you know, there are a bunch of holes in it that stuff just leaks out and you got to like get your buckets ready. So how do you handle that? Do you like overload the class through inheritance or do you uh, like monkey patch it? Like... We are going to get rid of that library entirely in this project. Okay. Man, that's, that's how you do it. Good strategy. Just, yeah. Okay, so that's how you handle it. Yeah, you just yeah. don't do it. In the, meantime, in the meantime, what we've done is the work that it was doing, we're using something else to do, right? It's, we're managing the cloud. It's an app that manages the cloud infrastructure for a client. And instead of using this third-party library that deals with the cloud you know, AWS or Google Cloud or wherever, we are just going to using their uh, CLIs or their APIs directly right now. And then this is what we're going to do. We're going to be using their APIs directly. As of late, I've been working with someone who has never done any front-end work. This person is a Scala developer. So I'm pairing with this person and teaching them React because that's what we're doing at the client. And it's been an awesome experience. Because while the person may have not done any React work, I haven't done much Scala work. So the fact that we were able to take a story and go from beginning to end and knock out the requirements for the story has been great. Because at the same time as I'm pairing with this person and like kind of showing them how cool React is and how fast things can change depending on the data that's provided to the components, uh, this person is showing me this uh, Scala functions and how that data is being managed and passed on to the front end in the first place. So to get like a full realm of the entire code base and how it works from beginning to end has been awesome. So it's been both like a learning and a teaching and it's just been awesome. It's been great. Uh, today we were talking about uh, TDD, test-driven development. Anyone want to drop a definition as to what it is? I will try. Now, please fill in if I've messed up. So the definition of TDD is when approaching writing an application, you think about what you want, say, the the smallest piece of code to do. You write a test first to test what that piece of code will do. You'll write the test, you'll run the test, you'll watch the test fail. You'll write the piece of code to get the test to green, then you'll refactor. 
is then go over that code again to see if you can make it better. If not, you would then generally just keep going. So it's the red-green refactor cycle. So you write a test, you see it red, you make it green, and you refactor it, right? I'd like to add another part that I think is really kind of usually not talked about, which is the thinking, which is where do you start? How do you write that first test, right? And what is that smallest piece of test like, that inches you along? I myself fall into this problem all the time where you spend too much time trying to solve the whole problem right. a lot. I mean, I, 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 like, I like having a complete solution in my head, or I like to think that I have a complete solution in my head. So that's a long-winded definition of TDD. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, th I think that the more counterintuitive part of that is that the test is in front of the rest of the code, mm -hmm. whereas you know a lot of places have tests and test coverage but like actually having the test being prepared up front really shapes the way that you think about writing the code and like shapes how you think about what's required to, to write the code and uh, helps guide you to like a more minimal solution than you might otherwise do. That, that minimal solution is really helpful. Um, I learned most about TDD from watching Let's Code Test Driven JavaScript by James Shore who wrote the Art of Agile book that we give to everyone here at um, Stride. And he mentions that letting the design of the application emerge as you go bit by bit, instead of thinking about it. And I noticed this today that often when working, we, we don't really kind of let it emerge. We try to figure the whole thing out, even if it's a small problem, just letting that problem emerge. And it takes, I think, a certain amount of mental discipline to, for me anyway, it would take to not try to solve the whole problem first, to so just try to go, let me just get the function name to be to exist, <laughs> right? Yeah, because that's that's the hardest thing about programming is like naming the function. Like, right. that, like, <laughs> like you can write the test, but it's like, what am I gonna name this guy? Is it descriptive? Is the next developer gonna hate me? Like, it's always a toss up. But uh, yeah, TDD has always like been an evolving thing for me. And just to use it, like if I could use it every day, it's it's great. I do get like caught up in like the feature and like, oh, how do I begin writing this massive thing that I have to test? And then you realize you have to write multiple tests to cover every possible implementation to ensure that your code is covered. But that's like the fun. I think like the thinking part is like the, the coolest part of it. And then you just start uh, writing tests, making it happen. Yeah, I, I think one of the great things about that, like to your point about like thinking about the entire solution, like sometimes you have something where you just can't figure out the entire thing and it can kind of lock you into a gridlock where you keep on thinking, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And then if you just have a test and you just let yourself go with that, then like it's, it's kind of freeing because it's a really simple problem. Then I just need to get this thing from red to green and, and then we'll be good. So when do you guys would use TDD? When do you guys say, you know what, I'm going to test drive this? Or is it something that you have that you start on every project that you do? All of the time in magical fantasy land. Uh, <laughs> in magical fantasy land. I mean, me personally, I like to use it all the time. Like, I try to install, like, a testing framework, even on, like, personal projects that I don't complete. And that's probably the reason why they never get completed because they just get caught up in writing the tests and then it gets really big. Then I start breaking it down, writing smaller tests, small, small, small stuff. But I try to use it all the time. I find it very helpful to test drive 
certain features and implementation. Yeah, the the thing that I really like about it is that it it makes you feel more free about like just deleting things and yeah. like refactoring and you know if you don't have the test then it's always really stressful to do that but it's like oh my god I have no idea what's gonna happen when I when I change this uh, but at least the test gives you some kind of assurance that like the world will go on after you refactor yeah <laughs> but yeah as far as like when to use it like i mean ideally you should use it all the all the time um but i think that an interesting like correlation to that is like when is it more challenging to to use that and like sometimes you might not be sure like how to abstract away the dependencies or if you're testing a new kind of thing you might not be entirely sure about what the best way to mock those dependencies are like where where should you draw the line for you know what what the test is is it like a unit test or is it like end to end test and yeah because i the reason why i like to use it and like to implement it everywhere is because i've worked in code base that did that were not tested mm -hmm. and then like oh you have to make this crucial change but we have no tests like you're gonna make this change and then you're gonna figure it out whether you broke something or you broke everything or you broke nothing and <laughs> like the anxiety that i get from looking at a code base that doesn't have any tests and then i'm i have to make a change to it mm -hmm. i'd rather just deal with setting up a framework and testing everything because then that just leaves i go to sleep at night knowing all right everything passed if it's broken that's not my fault. I last saw it green and then that was it. Right. Yeah. I I first learned programming, like the first projects that I had that I really got deep in were Java projects, like enterprise Java. And it was before like TDD was really a big thing. And so we didn't have any tests on it. But like, I guess in a, in a form, like having static typing is its own kind of test because it needs to compile. Like if, if you mess something up really badly, then it's, it's not going to even build. So you kind of have that protection for you. Like, you know what, what goes into a function, you know what comes out of a function, um, and you have that assurance. Um, but then when I was learning Python and you don't have uh, static typing, you know, I, fr I first tried to like program without TDD and, you know, it's, it's more confusing because it's, it's dynamic and you don't know what necessarily what's going to come in and out. But then when you, when you have the test cases in place, then you have more assurance about what's going on. And, you know, I, I can't even imagine writing Python without tests now or like any kind of code really. Yeah. It's like crazy to me. Like I just have to fix, I have to refer to some tests that I can read and learn about the actual implementation. And then it makes me understand that implementation so much better. I, I found it difficult to, in certain situations when you are coming in, in a place where, like I came in the project I'm in, I didn't know anything about the domain. And so part, I think, of starting with TDD is kind of understanding the the first step. And so I, I remember feeling really confused about, well, I need to muck around here for maybe until lunch or after lunch to, <laughs> to figure out what is going on here before I even know what, what to even test. And the other side of that is that a lot of times that mucking around ends up not being a spike as it's normally called, but ends up being the code that I just then write tests afterwards. Like that's mostly what happens in this project that I'm in right now. It's mostly just kind of mucking around like, okay, this work, this work, and all right, we should write tests before we definitely ship it. And we pretty much always do, but I don't know if, if it's, 
the type of project I'm in, right? Or if I can, in fact, try to find a way, even though without knowing, ultimately, that, that much about the domain, if you can start with, be, with a test first, and, and how might someone approach that? Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting question. Because like when you're learning a new technology and you you don't know everything about it, then like you said that that's like the spike solution. And you're just kind of playing around with it, and then it's like, oh, it works. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're supposed to throw those away, but like it's very tempting to keep it. Right? Oh, it feels so good when it works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my strategy for that is, you know, if I'm going to do some sketching and and not TDD it, then I have a hard rule that code gets deleted, and then once I understand the domain, then I start from scratch and I TDD it out. And I think mm-hmm. it's worth it, even though it can be painful to throw away a bunch of working code because you know that at the end of the day, your code is going to be much better tested. Like if you start it red and you make it turn green, it's going to cover more edge cases and you're going to have a greater degree of certainty that your tests are actually catching the kinds of mistakes that you want them to. Like one of the problems with writing tests after the fact is that it's much harder to know that the test would fail if the code that you wrote wasn't there. And you like you can go back into the code and you can comment some lines out and rerun the test, but it's really easy to, to do it wrong. Like not comment on enough code, right? confirmation bias, absolutely. Yeah, or like have a test that might never fail. Like I, I was in a situation recently where there was a problem with the mock library, the version of the mock library we were using. And uh, if you tried to assert that a certain mock was called, it would just be like, yeah, I was called. I'm good. But it actually never was. <laughs> and uh, so there were like numerous test cases that actually were failing, but the code worked. But then when you change the code and then the code doesn't work, but the test still says it does, then that's a problem. So like, like you said, that's like the test for your test. Like if, if it never turns red, then you've, you've obviously done something very bad. Yeah, the the time that I find that it's hardest to do TDD is when I don't know how to test something. Like, you know, I'm working with a, a new library or something that's really asynchronous or something that introduces some kind of complexity that makes it difficult to test. And then I go to TDD and I'm like, ah, I don't really know how to assert this. How do I how do I set up this test at all? And then I have to go and spike out a solution to understand the problem domain and then delete it. And then usually I spend a lot of time Googling for blogs that explain how to, how to test <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. But like, I, I guess once you do that kind of a thing, like, like once you write it once and you have the knowledge, then I find it always so much easier to go through it. Then it's like kind of muscle memory and you can get in the proper flow. Whereas when you're like just mucking through, like building a, a solution for the first time, it's never flow. It's it's always just like just Google. <laughs> yeah. And like when and you docs. Do, when you delete a bunch of code and then rewrite it, even if it's not because it wasn't tested the first time, the second time you write it, your code is better. Like it's just better organized. Right. You know where you're going. I mean, I find myself we use Git at the client and you do not want to see my Git stash list because <laughs> what ends up happening is what ends up happening is I, you know, figure out what I'm trying to do. And then rather than deleting it, I stash it just in case, like, in the midst of me trying to test drive everything, I miss something. So then mm-hmm. I refer to the stash to see what was it that I was testing or what was it that was happening. Then I just like, okay, I, I got the little bit of information from before because I would hate to write the code 
and then delete it and they're like man what did i write again like <laughs> so so i stash i stash it then i but oftentimes i don't like and they're ever like pop it back into my uh my code base so i end up with just like a huge stash list <laughs> that i don't ever clean oh, and yeah. i don't remember I don't what it was so then i was just like oh well and then like at one point i'm like oh man i got like 10 entries oh get stashed clean whip and it's just right out so it, it it just piles up because those are all the times that i like spike something and then i was like okay i know what to test now so i'm gonna stash it and start from the beginning and do it over that is a really good way of getting rid of stuff you spiked without having to what i what i used to do is make a spike branch except i never deleted the spike branch right? ah, <laughs> so, so it just exists it just exists <laughs> yeah. it's there yeah but that's a good way just stash it and then write you know what it is and you can just refer to the stash like it feels less friction there's less friction with that mm -hmm. yeah i like that so like I I've used stash before like just to you know pop changes off and put them back, but like can you like do a diff on a stash like between you could do yeah or do like a list checkout I think you could do a get stash diff or yeah and I believe or you can even look at the hash from the stash and get diff with head and or like yeah I think it's head and then what you have and there you can see like the difference yeah if you do a get stash list then it gives you the shots yeah and it okay. it shows you all the stashes you've done that you've made in a stack so they, and then like the one at the very top is the one that you would pop into your code base so you can see it and it's like stash number zero stash number one stash number two and then you can have up to like 10 or like 15 i don't remember but i always have like the maximum amount of stashes because <laughs> i'm always stashing code after a spike and i'm like you know what i, I time box myself 25 minutes i'm gonna test drive this entire thing and that's it I'm trying to imagine what your desk looks like. If your desk is like your stash or if it's like actually just perfectly clean. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just like my stash. Yeah, it's, it's a mess. I have like oh, that's it. right. There's all that Jiffy peanut butter. Yeah, yeah I, have, I have all sorts of peanut butter and oatmeal and, and uh, what is it? index cards and Sharpies and everything. Everything. Pass by sometime. You get some food. You get I, fat. IRL stash. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about our first experiences uh, testing and what we do with different languages. Don't go away. And we're back. Before the break, I was talking about uh, our first time doing uh, TDD. And I have like a interesting experience as to me doing TDD. I believe it was a Rails shop that I was working with, pairing with someone in TDD. And we had to do this feature. And it was kind of confusing for me to understand, like, wait, you test first? Like, who does that? No, we, we, there's no time for that. We have to implement these things and then push them out. Uh, before that shop, I used to work at a, um, a finance shop and time is of the essence. You have to fix, do things now, now, because time is money and you have to get things done. So testing was brand new to me and we had to implement this feature. I can't remember exactly what we were implementing, but if you can imagine it, imagine a function that returned 42. So the person that I'm pairing with is, okay, we're gonna write a test, and on this test is gonna return the number 42, as we expect when you give the number one or whatever. So I'm writing the test, trying to figure out you know, how to write this test, and I managed to get this test done. And my pair then, as a, I don't know, it was a joke, or like, the, uh, to me it was a joke, but in the implementation, he literally returned 
the number 42 and made the test pass. It's like, well, why are we doing that? Like, why are you playing games? Like, I wrote this test and put number <laughs> one, and then you just have it return 42. What are you talking about? But then as we, as, we were, as we were building out the test for the requirements, as we were passing it in, like, oh, if, I, if you pass in two, then it has to return another number. And then that where it got a little bit more complex and things happened, the more we wrote tests according to the uh, requirements, that's when the function actually became exactly what we expected it to be. So mm -hmm. I just thought it's funny. It's like, I call it like uh, wise guy driven development. Cause like, oh, I wrote this test and then you got to find the way to cleverly make the test pass. Like, oh, boom, mm -hmm. 42. What, what, what do you got for me? That was like my, I, so hard to comprehend that. But then as we were writing the tests and we were getting all the requirements in tests, that's when I realized, oh, this test, this, particular function is fully tested and we have full confidence that it's going to do exactly what we expect it to do yeah it's kind of getting thrown into the tdd deep end with someone <laughs> <laughs> wise guy driven development i remember uh the first time that i paired with somebody who was more junior than me and one of the things that was really beneficial about it you know i think this is a bit of a tangent but i think that people underestimate the value of pairing with a junior What's really nice about doing TDD with a junior is that it makes me much more concerned about best practices. Like I'm way stricter with myself about actually deleting code if I spike it out and making sure that every test that I write starts red and then goes green and making sure that I handle all of the edge cases and that I'm like super wise guy about driving out every, uh, every scenario and the reason is because I have this, I have somebody who I feel a responsibility for, for helping to like learn and grow and develop as a, as a developer. And so I think particularly for TDD, that's been a really positive experience. That's really interesting. Um, I learned TDD on my own. It's so strange because I kind of got into TDD probably because I, when I first got interested in programming and I used to just scour the internet and just find stuff to read and listen and talks. And I don't remember where or when I first heard about TDD. It was probably some post somewhere, maybe a video. The image that comes to mind right now is probably a video by Sandy Metz. But she doesn't really talk about TDD that much. So I don't know why that would. that's the first one that pops in my mind. It, the idea just made so much sense to me that you need to know what you're doing before you do it. <laughs> That's why I see it. Or you need a way that is somewhat outside of myself to verify that I did what I think I did. And, and I, I, I like to think of debugging as like finding the truth between what you think you did and what you actually did, right? And so it's not like a bug, it's really a mistake that I made in either thinking or typing, mostly typing, right? And, but, and so TDD helps kind of verify my assumptions. And it's something that, that sort of idea is something that appeals to me to verify them as much as I can. And TDD allows to do that. Also to f figure out what your assumptions are because writing the test reveals what, what you think this thing ought to do. It reveals uh, what you wanted, what you think you wanted to do. And, and when you get down to the specific thing that this thing is supposed to return. When I call this function, it's supposed to be true. 
you kind of get down to for me anyway like i i used to write a lot um when i was younger i i used to write plays and 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 short scenes and things like that and so writing things down is how i think and so tdd kind of helps me think i think that when we as developers are trying to solve a problem we have to have a whole lot of information in our in our heads if you could if you imagine humans as having ram like rapid access random access memory where you um you have everything loaded in memory and you can get to it really quickly but you have a very limited capacity for that tdd is a great way of preventing things from accumulating in ram as soon as you come up with a requirement for the app you write down the requirement now it's not in your head all you have to do is run the specs and the requirement is is tested and then all you have to do is go and implement that one feature that or that one return value that one portion of whatever it is that you're testing and then that's out of your head and you back to full ram whereas when you're trying to spike something out you have to keep all of the functionality and all of the specifications and all of the behavior that we that you've coded thus far in your head and so i think that's part of why i really enjoy uh, tdd so much it's because it keeps my head empty so that i can i can solve hard problems with 100% of my ram uh so for me like when i was learning uh tdd it was similar to a manual where i was mainly learning by myself but i had a community of people that i was uh working with at the time and we were like learning different programming concepts and i kind of put a a line out there like hey like does anyone know tdd who can teach me and i got basically back a lot of responses like i really want to learn more about tdd and like a lot of people were interested in more so we kind of like gathered together as a group and laid our assumptions about what testing actually meant and why it was important and um and then we went off and like just started doing some exercises and like as soon as i realized like a lot of things that we're talking about like you know the ability and freedom to think about things and refactor without fear i was like oh man it's like a superpower like i feel so empowered by this this is amazing and yeah i think a lot of our initial assumptions about testing and and what it was there for were not entirely true like because the the real reason why it's there is like what we're talking about now like facilitating your your means of thinking and like having the verification is just a bonus on top of that i think like the main thing is just being able to work efficiently and and think about the problem in a different way i'm kind of jealous everybody remembers when like the moment that they discovered tdd i mean, like don't <laughs> <laughs> feel kind of inadequate i think that i think i first heard about it through some online class and then i got exposed to it slowly over time and i experimented with it over time i don't really remember a turning point i think it's just probably taking a long time for me to just like a leaky abstraction or <laughs> just like slowly <laughs> leaking into your life yeah <laughs> just like that i mean i like to think that uh you had it easy cuz you just knew that there was a world where it was just about tdd definitely, like, definitely like not. where i had work before that there were no testing allowed pretty much you implement something and then you trip up like the regression test that takes 3 hours it uses <laughs> it uses like real data and process all this real data and everything just starts failing and they're like oh what was it about the change that i made that broke <laughs> 
all these tests and then you have to go and figure it out then run it again and it's just like so time consuming with like unit tests you can just run 15 seconds most and you know whether you broke something like horribly or not which is yeah. like great that's that's an interesting distinction there. i don't think we've talked about that really like the difference between like a unit test and an end-to-end test like a regression test like i think both kind of have their place in tdd right I guess mostly you think about unit tests when you're thinking about TDD because that's the quick, quick response thing. That's the most fun part of TDD is when you get done to the unit test. I always start at the feature level, and that's always the that's always the hardest. Although it probably adds the most value in terms of thinking through your problem domain, particularly if you're doing BDD. Because then you have to go through and write down in English exactly what it is that this feature is supposed to do and why. And that's, I find really helpful, particularly when you're trying to come up with the vocabulary to describe it in the first place. I think using the naming convention from the actual domain that your app works in is a really powerful thing. And it's really tempting when you're in the weeds at the unit level to just say, well, you know, it's um, info. Get data. Yeah. Update data. data. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody, get people want to name everything data. Like, data. Yeah. You always want to get it too, right? Just get yeah, that. You, get, yeah. <laughs> Set data. Set the data. Set the data. Get the data. Close up shop, guys. We're done. Boom. <laughs> anyway, yeah. If, so if you take the time to write everything out ahead of time, it forces you to identify, like, oh, exactly what is that data? Oh, I see. This data is actually an order, or this data actually represents a product. Mm-hmm. Any uh, any different programming languages you prefer doing TDD in? I personally like doing it in uh, in Ruby. Ruby's very clear. I find myself, like, always going to the debugger for React. We use uh, Jasmine Karma Framework at the client right now, and... There's always something uh, tripping up. I'm like, oh man, whoops! Gonna write this test and go to the debugger and figure out what HTML like key or function I have to call to get exactly what it is that I want to test. But Rails, mm-hmm. I mean Ruby, it's just like, oh yeah, call this function should do this, and then you call that function, and then boom, it just works. It's great. I think part of it is that the Ruby community is really into TDD and really into testing in general, and so there's a lot of there are a lot of great libraries out there and the libraries are strong and they usually have a lot of agreement about which library you should use. So like in the JavaScript community, there are like a zillion different matching libraries. In Ruby, it's like everybody just uses RSpec and RSpec just has all of the matchers. Yep. There's there's a couple of different ones with Ruby though, right? There's, there's Ruby, there's, there's test. I think test is another Minitest, one that okay. no, I I I don't know how I know that because I've only worked at places that uses RSpec. Okay. But I know test is one of the ones. I think it comes. I don't know if it comes with Ruby when you install using RPM mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but RSpec, everyone uses RSpec. That's just like mm-hmm. the thing to use. Yeah, and it's also really really full featured. Like in JavaScript, it's like you need a test runner, and then you need the actual testing library, and then you need the matches <laughs> to go on top of it. And they're all different libraries maintained by different people, and they don't always play nicely together. Whereas mm-hmm. with with Ruby, it's usually like here's this one library that just does all of the things. Right, because people considered it from the beginning as something important. Whereas I guess with JavaScript, it's front end, and I guess that's another thing also, right? Like with Ruby you're often writing back-end code and you can be a little bit more functional about it maybe 
than when you're writing front end code where it gets a little bit more messy because there's HTML elements and user interactions and things like that, um, which React makes a lot easier to reason about when you're writing tests, right? Yeah. I mean, they have like these little tricks and to ensure like, oh, you call this on click function, then you expect this thing. But I'm always like having to brush up like what what is it that I have to check? Like what happened in the like and I, it's not like in the component level, it'll be in in like the HTML like level. I have to check like the text content of a particular component. And it's like I have to go through that like millions of times until I get it in my head. That that's what you have to do. But uh, it's fun. Like, oh, I, what is it again? You go and you search it and it's great. I mean, it's not like it's difficult because I can always find the answer in the debugger, which is great. But like with Ruby, it, it, I know exactly what to do because I've been testing longer in Ruby than I have in React. There's also a bunch of front-end stuff that is just totally untestable. Like test that the nav bar is actually visible. Like, <laughs> there are like 30,000 ways that that nav bar might not be visible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good luck. Walk in the front end code. Yeah, testing. You know, there is a um, James Shore, the person, he has written a library or some way to test CSS, actually. He's been working on it on, on his website like that. You can test drive CSS. I, I, I'm just throwing this out oh there God. randomly. <laughs> oh God. I've never seen it. I've never used it. I've just heard about it. And he's been, he's been right for like almost a year now. You guys can see it, but I'm pointing at my eyeballs, and that is what I use to test CSS. <laughs> when I look at the screen and the colors work, uh, and that is really difficult. I mean, you can, yeah. like in React, you could definitely check the class name of a particular like component if necessary. Right. But like CSS testing, man, I'm looking forward to that. That uh, that sounds yeah, that sounds mean, really interesting. Yeah, what is the name of this thing? I'm definitely uh, looking this up. Kixotic, like like uh, Don Quixote, oh. but <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> nice. Yes. Yeah, that sounds that's a highly appropriate name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. What about closing up on the conversation of TDD? I just wanted to ask everyone here: Have you guys ever seen the uh, Martin Fowler talk on Is TDD Dead with uh, Ken Beck and DHH? It's like a really interesting conversation where I believe, I haven't seen it in a very long time, but I believe that DHH does not believe in testing. And he no. feels I, like... No, uh, I, I don't think yeah, he doesn't I, believe nah. in testing. He doesn't believe in TDD anymore because yeah, he, he, he used to be like, I've heard in interviews about him that he like drank the Kool-Aid on a lot of the XP stuff when it first came out. And when he was writing Rails, he, his world models were people like Martin Fowler and Kent Beck and those people. Um, I don't remember what the argument was that he made for a TDD dead. I think it might be that writing tests first might be dead or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I think it, I think that's what it was actually. Yeah, and um, I think he's trolling you, man. I, I really <laughs> I don't know. Think I don't know. The, the video's out, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of listeners that probably like have seen it and whatnot. And if you haven't, you should check it out. It's great, and uh, he could very well be trolling. All of us right now, like, but I mean, I can't live without TDD, so it's very much alive for that me. That video is has been on my watch it later list on YouTube for about three years. Put it on your I watch won- it now. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it was like in 2012 or 2013, he came out with a blog post called TDD is dead, long live TDD. And it blew up and everybody was like, oh my God, he thinks the TDD is dead. But he's actually, it's a reference to the king is dead, long live the king. It's like a, he actually does believe that 
at least at the time, I don't know, I haven't, I haven't talked to him personally, but no. <laughs> at least at the time, uh, based off of that blog post, he was, he was trying to be controversial, which is a thing he's really good at doing. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh, well, go, go also, check it out. Uh, also, that, that phrase about long live the king, the king is dead, it happens when a monarch dies and the next one gets, um, gets crowned. Uh-huh. So it's about uh, maybe an era ending and a new one rising. Yeah, but there's right. still a king. There's still a king, and so there's still TDD. It's just like maybe a way of doing TDD or the thinking about it, you know, has died. Right. Yeah, I, I do remember seeing a, a blog post that was highlighting a study. I, I can't remember the specific metrics that they were they were actually using to back their claim, but they were like backing their claim with like code metrics. Like, see, we still got the work done, like even though we didn't do TDD. But then, like, you look at the comments section of that article and, like, people have opinions. <laughs> like, they're like, but, like, how beautiful is the code that you didn't use TDD with? Like, how maintainable is it? Like, right. you know, all these, like, kind of non-functional requirements that are really hard to measure. But also, I think I, I spoke, I saw that article in the comment section. And they usually use, like, college students with writing fairly small applications, that are kind of, they can, because, you know, they have, you know, till the end of the semester, whatever, the time they have to do their testing. And and so it becomes, like, it's not a realistic representation of what happens when you do this for a living, because I'm writing, I'm working on an application that's fairly, you know, it's like, it's not tiny, but it's not like huge. Like, I'm sure most of you are working on stuff that's bigger, but it still has like a hundred different like models, right? And we have almost 5,000 tests on it. Now, if those tests didn't exist, trying to make a change to that application would just be impossible or it would just take forever because not not because the implementation of the thing would take a long time because it would be fixing everything that broke afterwards and finding stuff that you broke like three months ago, breaking today that you have to go, find code that you wrote three months ago, breaking stuff today, right? That's just... But this is the difference between like writing the test after or writing it before. And, you know, does that drive you to have better organized code or like have modules that aren't 3,000 lines long or like any other kind of more squishy metric? Yeah, that's just, that's just like stress I don't want to deal with. Like I'd rather just have the test stress for me. And if something fails after I implement something, mm-hmm. might as well just take care of it. To, to go on like the testing before, testing after if you think about what happens when you, I think when you test before is you're able to be more concrete as we talked about earlier about the ideas that you're trying to actually test for. When you test after you're confirming something you already wrote, right? And that's a very different kind of approach and the kinds of things you're about to come up against or the kinds of edge cases you run into. For instance, when you, I think when you test after the edge cases come to you after, right? There is a couple times in the project I'm on where testing after has led to unforeseen bugs that test first might have caught, not guaranteeing to caught, just more likely to have caught. Awesome. That was a great conversation, everyone. We hope you guys check out the uh, STDD dead and uh, enjoy it. It's a great interview, if I recall correctly, and I might have to rewatch it again. Do we have any picks we want to talk about uh, before we end the podcast? So I have one thing. Recently, uh, Google released uh, an API called Actions for Googles, which is an API for the Google Assistant, which is used by Google Home and also, you know, the new Pixel phones and 
all that fun stuff. And so I was looking at these tools and it's really interesting because like some of the things that you use to build these interactions, these conversations, even those things, like obviously like those interactions are machine learning based, like it's uh, figuring out what, what word you said, like text to speech, and then it's figuring out what kind of response to do. But even the tools that you use to build these interactions are using ML as well. Like you give it examples of parameters that you want, like different kinds of foods. And then you give it examples of different kinds of questions that you want to ask it. And it'll automatically figure out what things are the parameters and what you want in there. And it's it's like just stacks of ML. And it's pretty exciting because like now that there's like kind of these nitty gritty problems solved, like now people can build on top and make something really cooler. Nice. I'm looking looking forward to those apps. One thing I have is, uh, I think I mentioned before at the beginning of the podcast about uh, pairing with someone who uh, is unfamiliar to React. And it's also my pick because I'm actually looking forward to working in Scala. There's something very different about pairing with someone and you guys, you and the other individual know more or less like how to get the feature done. But when it's like when you almost depend on someone, so that person ends up teaching you how to do it yourself. I feel like very empowering that we're doing that a team that I'm in. So I'm really looking forward to learning Scala and uh, producing awesome code in both Scala and React and being able to teach someone that is, is awesome. Cool. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the rabbit hole. I'd like to thank the panelists here today and we'll see you next time.